The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back to Redneck Tech Podcast. This is episode number 118. We haven't done one in a while. Um, we've, Clay did a little snowboarding trip. Ryer and I were in the dunes. Ryer was there longer than me. And we've just kind of been playing catch up. Um, January went from nothing for us to do to everything for us to do in a very short amount of time. So this has really been the first opportunity we've had to sit down and talk about some stuff. And, um, our, as you see, we're not in our podcast studio yet. It is in progress. The stairs are in, the holes there, the rooms there. We're still, I would say, thirty percent done with where we want to be at. So, um, just like everybody else, the contractor that actually showed up and did what he said he was going to do this time, he's extremely busy and he's kind of doing it in his off time. So, um, bear with us. We are still working on that, and it's going to happen. We're super stoked about it. We're going to try and take some before and after pictures. Um, I've got some like iPhone pictures that I just sent like for measurements and stuff, but we'll try and take some cool before and after pictures. Um, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a, it's a much bigger room than we even anticipated. I think it's like 20, 23 feet long and 16 feet wide or something. Like It's a pretty good size room. I think it's like 400 and something square feet. So um, in terms of like space will have so much room for activities. Um, Clay's not a huge fan of it right now because when it's really cold, it gets really cold in his office because the stairs are in his office. <laughs> I have a space heater in there. Yeah, he said, what was he saying? I couldn't feel my hands like to work my keyboard and my mouse. I took Katie's little space heater and put it on my desk shooting right down my keyboard at my mouse and my keyboard so I can feel my hands. <laughs> well, if you have that problem again, I can bring you a pair of my uh, cycling gloves that cut off right here. It's great for keeping your hands warm, but still maintaining uh, finger dexterity. <laughs> okay. We're just going to glaze right over that. <laughs> but anyway. I like would just like that, let that awkward silence play out. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was wondering if you would. Oh, yeah. Because that made it that much more awkward for you, I think, for saying. You're riding fingerless gloves yeah. for dexterity. Well, no. For and you keyboard. were emphatic about it. I mean, my hunting gloves are like that, but I don't rave on but That's to them. kill things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now he's getting where we were going with that whole thing. <laughs> I kill it on the racetrack. Okay, okay. So anyway. Um, you kill them Rambos too when you yeah. send them bombing down the hill. Yeah. So first thing we're going to talk about is Ryer just did a, I don't know, fairly extensive review, um, what you as extensive as you can get on a Instagram post. Yeah, I had to cut it down. Um, I nobody else would know this because nobody else is long winded like me. Uh, but the maximum amount of characters you're allowed to have on an Instagram post is two thousand two hundred and twenty. 
You had and more I than had two thousand nine hundred and ninety-seven, and I was trying to be brief. <laughs> well, good. So, so the, that's what we're gonna so we're gonna I expand also, on that. Yeah, I had to cut it down. That happens every single post that you guys see with like a long caption that I've written. I've cut it down. And that's every single one of and them. And that's Ryer did that. The ones that are like no more than two sentences, I wrote those because I don't like my brain just cannot sit there and type or write on a keyboard and then copy and paste. I'm assuming that's what you do. Yeah, I put it in my notes. Yeah. The only thing I wish the Apple Notes had is uh, a character counter. It doesn't have that, and I don't know why. Hmm. You would think it would, but P- Apple Pages does. Oh, well, it I'm does. Not downloading Apple Pages. Yeah, this is true. <clears throat> anyway, so I wanted to talk about since, especially since he had to cut down his uh, whole review on the Talopa, I wanted him to give his review. And I recently got one around Christmas time. Haven't had as much time with it as Ryer has, and I want to give my feedback on kind of my thoughts on it too. And then we're going to get into the main part of the podcast, which is um, cinema versus DSLR. So, kind of go into kind of. Go over what you put on the post and then kind of do your long-winded thing that you had to cut down. Well, so, I mean, basically the long long story short of the review is I really like the bag. Yeah. Um, I got it right before uh, uh, the traveling seasons, right before elk season, basically. And um, I've pretty much taken it everywhere that I can expect to take it filming in a year, except for... Maybe some random places I haven't taken it. Um, I haven't taken it turkey hunting, and I haven't taken it uh, like to the Keys or mm-hmm. done anything like that. But I don't foresee any of. But you've of done those. elk. You've done deer. You've I've done, done all the stuff that's gonna that's pack intensive. Yeah. Um, and so far I've really liked it. Uh, I went into looking for a bag because I wanted something that would serve multiple functions. I wanted one bag that would do. Uh, all the things I wanted to do, and I wanted something that I could carry on with me to the plane uh, because I was carrying on a laptop bag, and then I would shove my actual pack into a Pelican case and then have that on trips. And I just found that to be an inefficient use of space, especially when we've already got so much stuff to bring and space is at such a premium uh, on trips, especially things like for elk and deer where you've got a pack uh, extra clothes or a tree arm yeah. or maybe some uh, extra backpacking gear. Um, I felt like that was a use, a, a, a waste of space when I could have one pack to do all of those things. Uh, and so I was kind of Googling around and I found some reviews on uh, some F-stop bags. And then I found the F-stop Tilopa, which is basically as big of a bag as you can get into the overhead bin of most airplanes. Yeah. Um, and that's loaded. <clears throat> and that's loaded. loaded to the gills and yeah. it still fits. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of the first requirement. And then the second requirement was I wanted a dedicated camera bag. I didn't want to kind of repurpose a, uh, a I guess, standard pack or a hunting pack. I wanted something that was meant for camera gear and would hold camera gear and would protect camera gear because 90% of the time when I'm using the bag, I have camera gear with me. And it made more sense to me to have uh, 
a pack that was dedicated to camera gear that had all the the bells and whistles and considerations that somebody who was taking gear and using it every single day would need to make their life easier uh, when when you're in the field, when you're in the woods, when you're traveling, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted, I just wanted it to be rugged. I wanted it to be able to uh, go to the woods and pack and carry a lot of weight because there's a lot of camera backpacks, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of camera backpacks that are made for the outdoors, for hiking, for day trips, for multi-day trips. I mean, you can go find 40 million uh, backpacks that you can just sling over your shoulders and they're carry-on capable, but they're, you're not going to take them into the woods and it's not going to be comfortable. So I was really looking for a really specific melding of a backpacking backpack and a camera backpack. So uh, I stumbled across the Talopa. I was looking at reviews and it was pretty much exactly what I was looking for. I was able to carry it on and it, it had all of the standard capabilities that you would want out of a backpacking backpack and it also had all of the little, I guess they're, it's more of like the little details that make it a camera-specific bag, besides, of course, the internal camera unit, which is made specifically for the cameras. Um, so I got that. I got the, what is it, the medium? Yeah, I think the you medium have the medium. I have the, the large. Lar- you I have, have the large. I have a medium and a small ICU. And so the way that the F-stop bags work is is they're kind of a system. So you buy the bag, which is a shell, and that's what the Talopa is. And then you can put any of their, well, I say any, there's probably some really big ones that you can't put in there, uh, but you put what's called the ICU, the internal camera unit, inside of the backpack. Um, They all open up, at least this line, I think they all open up from the back. You've got that rear zipper back compartment, which I really like, and you put the ICU there. And then you can build the ICU to fit whatever camera, whatever lenses, however you want to configure it. And it's just got to best v- fit your Velcro like dividers, and you just move mm-hmm. those things around to whatever you want them to be. Yeah, and so I think it took me a solid few hours to kind of figure out how I wanted it to be. Um, and I thought I was going to change it over the course of the season, and I never did. Uh, basically, I have it set up to where I can have the camera with a lens on it in one little part, and then the other two lenses... 70 to 200 is the only one I can't have on the camera. See, I set mine up to have the 7200 on the camera when it's in my bag. Really? And I wish I wouldn't have because now every time I pull it out, I have to change lenses before I can do anything. I want to be able to pull it out and start taking pictures or start, you know, throw the mic on it and be done. Yeah. But now I have to take the lens off, put it back in the bag, put a new lens on, put the mic on. It's like three or four extra steps that I'm trying to eliminate. Yeah, I set so mine I want up to, for a, I want to relay mine out. We'll do it again. I think if you set it up for the 24 to 105, yeah, then it doesn't matter if you have that or the well, 16 to 35 on there, it'll still fit. And the 70 to 200, I just kind of lay out on, along the side of it. Yeah, and the and the reason that I got it is for all the same reasons that Ryer got it. You know, he got it to, to, to make his packing system a little bit easier. I got it because I was tired of carrying a roller bag with a backpack. So I don't know though, if I'm going to use it as my like everyday backpack on hunts. I haven't made that decision yet because I haven't had to use it on that yet, mm-hmm. but I bought mine because when we travel, we're generally carrying at least two camera packages, a DSLR mirrorless package, 
and then our big camera package, which is usually the FS7 or the FS5 if you're clay. So it's one of those things to where when we check that big camera, so they put it under the plane, we want to make sure if we get to the location wherever we're flying, that if that camera is lost in wherever, that we still have a camera on our back to where we can still work. Because if we got there and all of our camera gear was under the plane and it got and it was missing, and I've had this happen one time, which they got it to us within like four hours, so it wasn't a huge deal, but I was dead in the water. Like I can't do my job without a camera. And no, we don't really want to film everything we're doing on DSLR, but we can we can still work and we can get photos and we can do some things and it doesn't kill our entire trip because we're missing a camera. You know, worst come to worst, if we went on a trip with a client and we they didn't have our FS7 for the whole trip, we could do the whole thing on DSLR, which is a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about in just a minute. I would hate that for the most part, for most of our clients. Some clients, like for Dudley, it works fine. But, um... That's not how we want to do things, but that's the whole reason we got this set up is that we where it's an insurance policy to where we always have a camera mm-hmm. in hand no matter what happens. Um, I have my R5 set up in mine. I really like it. I want to redo the ICU. Um, to me, it holds everything in a little bit more than you need, but it's also one of those things, if I had a bigger pack, it would have more stuff in it. If I had a bigger pack or a smaller pack, yeah. I could probably condense my pack some if I wanted to. It, mine's heavy. You know, it's up there. I, I need to weigh it, but I would say it's between 35 and 40 pounds with everything in it. But I've got my R5 with a cage, batteries, chargers, um, a 50 millimeter, 70 to 200, and either the 24 to 105 or the 16 to 35 because that the other whatever lens I'm taking – the other one stays on the FS7 in the package. So I can kind of interchange those. And then I have, you know, my laptop, chargers, cables, all that stuff. And I actually still have both those side pockets I haven't used yet. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to put in there. Um, and I put my hard drives in the front and I put my power, uh, my thing that I plug in that you can run USBs and I don't even know what you call it, kind of like an extension cord. I put that in the front, and it's got a rain cover in the front. Um, and I really like it. It wears really well, you know, through the airport, wearing it for a long time with weight. It kind of rides more like a mountaineering backpack versus just a everyday backpack type thing. So, or which I had the Cine bag. I can't remember the model number, and it didn't wear worth the crap. It yeah. was great, you know, for organization and for a camera. But if you had to actually like wear it for a significant amount of time, it sucked. It was literally just a, a square backpack with straps is all it was. It had no ergonomics to it whatsoever. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with mine uh, so far. Yeah, I've gotten a little dirty, took it to sand dunes, and I usually – I've been trying to remember to take it home with me every night. So I have it – like I have my laptop at home because I've been forgetting it and I'll need something at the house and having to do something on my phone that I would love to have a laptop to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to try and start keeping it in my truck or making it to where I'm at least pulling my, like I took my laptop out now. I'm going to take this home tonight. That way I can, I got some other crap I need to do at home that I don't have to have my monitors to do. But anyway, that's a kind of a, a segue into, did you say anything you want to say about it before we segue into it? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Go no, ahead. I was going to go through the kind of the hunting review. Oh, okay. That. Yeah. For, yeah. Go for it. Um, 
I will say, as far as carry-on, it won't fit in the smaller regional jets yeah. overhead, but uh, the ICU is uh, separate, and so you can actually just zip up the ICU, take that out of the pack, put that under your seat in front of you, or hold it on your lap, and then put the pack up, and I've had to do that once or twice, and it worked fine. It's kind of a pain, but it's a lot less of a pain than having a backpack without that, and then finding out it doesn't fit, and then being like SOL and trying to yeah. figure out how to get things out of it so that they can put it somewhere and you don't get all your gear freaking smashed around. Yeah, I don't trust those people. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think as far as uh, the hunting setups go, I wore it all week, uh, all the weeks when I was elk hunting in Utah, and I never had any issues with it. Uh, it was comfortable with all the weight that I had in there. I strapped a quarter to it uh, one trip, and it was fine. It wasn't super comfortable. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where... It's not made you, for that. Yeah, and I still had my whole DSLR package in there. All of the gear, like, it's it's uh, it's workable to be able to take the first load out and be able to help take the first load out because um, I like to try to help on those things. I don't yeah. want to be the camera guy who's like, oh, well, you know... Oh, I've only got camera gear in my pack. I'm not going to help with the with the elk. Um, so I like to try to put meat in my pack to help if I can, and I was able to strap a whole quarter to it. You like meat. I do. <laughs> you like meat. Clay <laughs> likes meat. We all like meat. That's why we're here Sorry. on this podcast. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> um, and uh, it, was, it, it worked. It wasn't super comfortable, but... N- Packing meat never is, so yeah. it's kind of like, well, it works, and it'll get the job done when you get back to camp, switch out to a pack frame, and you can put more on there. Um, I got it really bloody, and I, it's fine. Like, it, the outside is kind of water-resistant, so mm-hmm. uh, besides the straps, I think, have a little bit of blood marks on them. I mean, you can wash that off really easily. Uh, I personally don't care if it has blood and dirt on it. Some people, like clay, probably will. Um, so like you can wash it if you're anal OCD about that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave me an evil eye for those of you who are listening. Um, so elk hunting, it was great. Uh, you could put a water bladder, the same place you put your laptop. Yeah. Um, I really like all the compartments that it has in there, uh, and all of the different kind of places you can put things. Um, I'm able to carry extra cards, extra batteries, um, all of my other miscellaneous gear and food and water that I might need, um, extra clothes everywhere uh, in the pack, and they don't interfere with my camera setup, so I can always access my cameras really easily. And then if I got to dig around and get some uh, snacks or coffee or a battery or an extra card, um, I can always find it. It's always easy to get to. I don't have to go digging through a giant compartment that's just full of stuff and trying to rifle through it and then try to put it all back when you found the thing. So I really like that about it. Um, when I when when kind of the deer hunting portion of the year started, I was not sure how I was going to get the entire muddy boss hog onto the pack, um, but it turns out I can just lash it to the outside of the pack. There's a ton of straps. How does it wear when you do that though? Um, I mean, it, it's heavy. Yeah. It's definitely really heavy. Um, but the nice, it, there was a couple walks where my shoulders hurt. Um, 
but I didn't strap the hip belt for any of those walks. Yeah. Uh, mostly just because I had my safety harness on, and then it's like, well, now I got to figure, I got to do the safety harness, and I got to extend the straps, and then I got to try to manage both of those things and put it on. And I, it, you're never walking far enough to where it's going to really hurt your shoulders. Yeah. So, um, it's definitely heavy. Uh, it's a little unwieldy the way that I put the arm in there because uh, I just strap it to the very back of it. So you've got all that weight, and it kind of pulls you back as you're climbing the tree, uh, which isn't always the most fun. And there's there was a couple of trees that were kind of tight where the backpack got a little bit in the way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I never fell out of a tree, and I, don't, I yeah, never don't, didn't yeah, get in the tree. Wood. So uh, I was... I was pretty happy with it. I mean, just the fact that it was able to carry all of those things and all of, like, the food and snacks and water and extra jackets and whatever else I might need for the day uh, all in one pack I really liked. Uh, And, again, just the versatility to be able to take that from an airplane to the elk woods to up a tree uh, to hunt deer and then, um, you know, uh, we... Take it to the dunes. Take it to the dunes. I, I, uh, you guys probably saw in the story, I was literally just strapping it into the seat where a person would go. And uh, I never once worried about the camera gear getting hurt inside because uh, it was really secure in there and it's got the ICU and all the gear is really protected. Um, I think that overall, I really like the pack. I take it to and from work every day um, with laptops and stuff like that in there. I've got all my hard drives and stuff like that in there as well. Um, the th- thing that I will say, it's a little loud. Uh, it's a little loud, yeah. like, in the woods. Yeah. If you're just walking around elk hunting, I don't, it's, unless you've got an elk, like, literally looking at you and you're rifling through your pack, I think the noise doesn't matter. Um, and if there's an elk looking at you, you probably shouldn't be rifling through your pack anyways. Yeah. Um, in, like, the really still whitetail woods, it can be a little loud, but so is setting up an arm in general. Like you're not going to do that silently no matter what pack you've got. Yeah. Uh, and the reason it's loud is because of the material it's made out of and the zippers being as big and beefy as they are. And I think that that is more of an advantage than it being quiet uh, because I just think, for what we do, we make a little bit of extra noise no matter what. Yeah. Um, and I would rather have a pack that is super rugged, super durable, is not going to rip and break, and zippers fall apart. Like, I put as, I've put as much stuff as you could possibly get in there and had to wrench on the zippers and never had any problems. Yeah. Through barbed wire fences, drug it up and down trees, laying it down everywhere. It's never ripped. It's never fatigued. So, I mean... It's a super rugged pack. It's super uh, super functional. It's really flexible. You can really customize it to your style and take it kind of wherever you want it to go. Um, and so I've been really, really happy with it so far. Yeah, me too. So to kind of get into the next part of this is the reason we take that is so we always have a camera. And and. Clay took some notes on this. I've thought about this, and I know Ryer and I have talked about it, which we've all talked about it, and we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but we've gotten the question a couple of times here recently that 
you know, there's the Sony mirrorless cameras, the you know, the new R5, the 5D Mark IV, the 6Ds. There's a lot of really good DSLRs out there that are very capable of shooting incredible video. Um, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And we get the question, okay, either what would you rather run, a DSLR or a cinema camera? And what it, and why should I buy a cinema camera versus continuing to run a DSLR or a mirrorless camera? And we've, and if you ask my opinion, if I'm going to go out and film a hunt, or if I'm going to go out and film virtually anything, if I want to use a cinema camera or a DSLR slash mirrorless camera, and when I say DSLR, I mean both. I mean a small handheld DSLR or mirrorless camera. I'm going to pick a cinema camera every time. Um, Briar, you're, what, what would you pick? Cinema camera. What would you pick? Uh, other than filming Dudley, yeah. cinema camera. Yeah, and Dudley's the exception to the rule in this for sure. Um, and, and, the reason, and the reason is many things. And, and, and I, I think it's important to note that the reason that Dudley is an exception is not so much because of the inability to film him with a cinema camera. Yeah. It's the inability to take pictures with a cinema camera. Yeah. And his priority on pictures that outweighs the video. Outweighs the video. Yeah. So can can a DSLR or mirrorless camera shoot just as good video as a cinema camera? Yeah. If you really know what you're doing, yes. It you can you can get footage that's just as good and just as usable as something shot on a much more expensive cinema camera, hundred percent. Um, but and I think I think the best way to, to go and, and we're going to go through some the bigger reasons. But the number one reason for me to use a cinema camera over a DSLR is the ergonomics and the buttons. And what do I mean by that? So. A cinema camera is going to be bigger. It's going to be set up to run on your shoulder to where you don't have to hold it or rig it out with a thousand different plates and rigs and shoulder mounts and plates and all this crap. It literally is made to run on your shoulder and hold where it's supposed to or have a top handle to run at a lower angle, which DSLRs are really hard to do that with. And then they have dedicated buttons and rings for focus, for... Uh, f-stop and uh, for zoom so you can do all those things manually and they're all right there there's no going into menus pressing buttons to select different things to you know get access different functions of the camera to me those two reasons alone you can be so much faster and so much more effective when you're filming clay what do you think is the biggest reason you would pick a cinema camera over a dslr audio Audio. Dual yeah. channel and XLR audio. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a real big pain in the butt to run audio on virtually all DSLRs without some redneck engineering. Yeah, they make a um like a three point five millimeter splitter mm-hmm. that'll split your DSLR audio channels into two. It'll appear as one on your screen, but it'll split it into two in post. Um they can be finicky. Yeah. Um, and then I've just had a lot of experiences where the 3.5 has unplugged. Yeah. And 
Um, you don't really have that with the, I mean, you don't have it with the XLR. It locks in. Yeah. And the XLR cords are usually better than the 3.5 millimeter cords. For sure. And, and, and just having those extra cords, those extra mounts, those extra weights that aren't where they're supposed to be and they're never easy to mount without buying a cage and buying another monitor and buying this and buying you that. Don't, you don't have to build out a cinema camera. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> everyone you see, like we talked about Aaron, um, mm. Every time he he was building out his A7 III or A7R III or whatever he was running, it was the same size as a cinema camera. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have to, if you're going to build out your mirrorless or DSLR to the same size as a cinema camera, why not just run something that's already the same size that you don't have to build? And, but my thing is too, when you build it out and say, okay, well, if your argument's the the mirrorless camera's cheaper. Yeah, if you're just running it, with just a camera, once you start adding monitors, once you start adding cages, once you start adding audio, once you start adding all these things, the, the price difference isn't going to be that big of a difference. Um, and, if, and if you're going to film on a DSLR holding it like this with a, you know, a, a road mic and you're looking at a two inch screen, then yeah, it is cheaper. Um, but you're just not going to get out of that camera. What you're going to get out of cinema camera. If you had to pick one reason, Ryer, what's, what's your big, your big, take away from why you want to run a cinema camera versus a DSLR? Uh, mine is a lot of form factor, kind of the same reason yeah. as you. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to belabor that anymore, but I would say past that, um, I've found that at least with the mirrorless cameras that we've, or the, the DSLRs mirrorless that we've ran, in editing, they don't color grade as nice. Yeah, as, well, they don't have the camera, the deep the what is it eight bit versus twelve bit or yeah, whatever the color, color depth. Yeah, color depth. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, hopefully, I sounded very confident in that. Yeah. Um, so they don't grade as good. I internal NDs. Yeah, which helps a lot with the image quality. A lot of times when you get footage from a uh, mirrorless or a DSLR, unless you've been putting NDs on it, it looks very sharp and uh, it just doesn't, that doesn't look nice on video. Uh, and then the other issue that I've ran into a lot is it, especially if you start doing 4K or you start doing 120 or high frame rates, the amount of compression that the camera has to do to fit that onto the card mm -hmm. so that you can store it inside of a DSLR is, is it compresses it so much that it's very difficult to edit with mm -hmm. to the point where it's I like, have just it's like GoPros. Yeah. I just create proxies like drone clips, GoPro clips, all the R5 clips now proxies. Cause I tried to mess with all of those things without doing proxies and my computer just won't do it. Premiere won't do it. It, if you want to do anything besides play it at a half resolution, it just won't. Yeah. So. And I've heard you complain I, about hand holding them too. Isn't as stable as hold a hand holding the FS5. Oh no! Yeah. The, yeah. Well, hand holding it's a the DSLR is very heft. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now if, if you, you've got any movement in there, it just translates way more, and you just there's it's a lot harder to get steady like this than it is to get steady, like having it on your shoulder or and pulling it yeah, into you. three points of contact versus yeah. two. 
and you can make it four if you used a viewfinder. Yeah. Uh, I never do, but you could. And the weight plus the points of contact and the ability to pull it into you while looking at the viewfinder, especially for the FS7, well, I, uh, I makes just it think, so much easier to well, run. Well, I just think at the time, the time to build out, say you do have a DSLR and you build it out, how much time does it take you to build that camera out? Either at least once a trip or every, um, at least once a trip or every day in some people's cases. Okay, so think about how much time it takes. Say it takes you five minutes. Well, that's not very long, but extrapolate that over an entire season. Okay, now talk about the time it takes um, to take a take our FS7s out of the case. It's virtually no time. Um, and and, and the, the advantage to a DSLR is the weight and the size. They're way, way easier to travel with um, if you're just running that. And like which Ryer just ran the R5 for the, uh, which we did have our first overheating issue. Um, yeah, I've in officially the, not super happy with the R5 for video now. Yeah, so, and that was lots of 4K 120 and it overheated how many times? So we were filming inside of a trailer in in the sand dunes. And it wasn't like 100 degrees outside. I mean, it was, what, 75 degrees outside? Something like that, Caleb? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't extremely hot outside. I was inside the trailer. I was sweating a little bit. So it was hotter than was, like, comfortable. But it wasn't that hot. Um, and I was running 4K 120 because the R5 only lets you do 4K 120, which is a big gripe that I have with that camera, is I don't understand why... I have to do 4K 120. Why can't I do 1080 120? Why can't I do 1080 90? Why can't I do 4K 90? Like, if the max capability is 4K 120, I don't understand why I don't have all the other options underneath that. Yeah. To me, that just seems like somebody was lazy and didn't want to put well, the time into the That sounds like something that could come in a firmware update later, too. But why, you know, like I'm on why with not? You. Yeah, why not have it now? And what happened was, first of all, I didn't need 120. I did the same type of video on the FS7 the like five days prior before you showed up at the R5. And how, and how much easier was and it I to ran, do? I ran 90 frames a second, and yeah. it was a lot easier. And like you said, I didn't have overheating problems. I had overheating problems three times at the R5, which to me, it I got pissed off. Yeah. I got really angry at it because like, I'm trying to do this video. I'm trying to work. Uh Brad is helping me with the video, and he has other things he wants to be doing, and we're sitting here fighting a camera that should be working, yeah. that shouldn't be overheating, and I don't have any recourse to make it not overheat because I'm forced into this 4K 120, which is super processor heavy, and that's what's making it overheat. And so to me, that was was really frustrating. And then I eventually was just like, screw it, I'm getting the FS7, and I finished the video on the FS7. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You didn't see me, like, storm out of one trailer, walk across the desert, storm into the other trailer, <laughs> put, put the put the R5 down, gra- like, grab the F- the FS7, put it together, because it was in my case, Yeah. and storm back, like, no, I didn't. muttering to myself. Uh-uh, like, I didn't. <laughs> I should have done this on the FS7 the whole time. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that the R5 has that the FS7 didn't in that scenario is like some of the rooms in the trailer are really tight. And yeah. F, the, the R5, R5 is, smaller. is a little better for that. 
Um, but like all the camera moves, I could do them with the FS7, and I think they were smoother with the FS7 in 90 frames a second than the R5 and at 120 because of the size factor of yeah. the FS7. Here's another thing I wanted to talk about too is we were talking about time. Um, and I've talked to some people that don't want to go to a cinema camera for the simple fact that they've never ran one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... I mean, I, and I, I would probably be in that same boat too, but I was always one of those guys that wanted a bigger, big cinema camera. I just like the idea of it, and, and I finally got one in my hands years and years ago, and I was like, yeah, never again will I have to run video on a DSLR again. And I think, and, and, it's, and it's, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and if you're one of those people that's thinking about making the leap from a DSLR or mirrorless to a cinema camera, the efficiency and the time you're going to save and how much faster you can film things and do things, especially once you learn your camera backwards and forwards. Like like you ask Rye or me or Clay, hey, you need to go shoot B-roll for name the hunt. Okay, well, they're going to grab their cinema camera to go do it because they can do it so much faster. Um, grab a tripod, grab a camera, and go. And you can do so much more stuff. Now, if you're shooting on a slider and you're doing those things, those are those are those are places for small cameras. Those are places for mirrorless and DSLRs. But I think the time saver in terms of being able to access menus, being able to not have to rig things out, being able to shoulder hold, to have a handle, all of those things are going to play into time. And that's what we're selling is our time. And the more fa- the faster we can be and the more efficient we can be, the better we are. Um, I mean, that's that's the it, that's what it all boils down to to me is the time it takes and, and the ease of use. I think um, perception to clients is another oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that's something we didn't talk about for sure. You know, if, if you roll in with a, it looks like a, I don't know what a rigged out DSLR rig would look like, but just some just a bunch of stuff mangled mess. Um, and they can see it as a tiny camera that doesn't. And and perception is reality. I mean, if anybody knows that this industry should know that. And if you walk in with a cinema camera with a big lens and a monitor and, you know, things like that, then you're already perceived as maybe knowing more than you should. Because I've been that guy before and stuck a big camera on a tripod and somebody's like, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. I'm like, I don't even know where the on button is on this thing, dude. <laughs> you know, I've been that guy too. But, um, and you can charge more. The camera is more, you know, more expensive. You know, and that essentially runs into, okay, well, I can charge more because I have better equipment. It's the same thing, you know, name every other industry. You know, the guy with the better chainsaw charges more to cut your trees down. The guy with a better... Tractor trailer charges more to haul your stuff. You know that's how that's how the world works. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that the perception part of it. Um, well, and I think too, like rigging out is cool. Yeah. Right. But yeah, and one, you also one time. do, and you also <laughs> rig out like you can, especially if you start shooting on like Reds or Aries, like those you rig out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like because you don't. The FS7, I think, is about as advanced of a camera as you can, quote-unquote, pick up and run and gun, yeah. right? Uh, a red, 
you you have to rig it out, but the rigging is more permanent, mm-hmm. and it's, it's designed to be rigged. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, if I want to rig out the FS7 and I want to put a shoulder mount on there, and I want to run, uh, I want to. It has raw capabilities. I can run a battery pack on there. Um, I can. I can put things on there, and they all run off of the camera. I don't have to get a whole bunch of adapters. I don't have to get something to mount everything onto. I don't have to try to basically build an entire camera from scratch. Same thing with a RED. Like, when you want to rig it out, everything runs off of the RED. You can, um, like, there's detachable battery packs, so you can take the battery off it and still run the camera and attach other other uh, yeah, accessories they're, they're modular. Into, their, into their battery packs, and there's attachment points on the camera. There's also it's meant to be rigged out. You don't have to try to jerry rig essentially, or yeah. get a whole bunch of stuff and then adapt this to this port. Like everything is standard. Yeah. Where with uh, DSLR, I find that usually, if you're rigging it out, you're taking rigging that's made for rigging cinema cameras putting it onto a DSLR and then you have to adapt a cinema camera uh, connection to usually it's little cousin, which means now you've got two or it's little brother, whatever. And now you've got three connection points where you had one connection point and that's three more places that can break, can come loose, can come off that you can lose. And especially for what we do, you you can't be having things break, come loose, come off, and get lost because we don't have, you know, we don't have a back room of the studio to go run and get a replacement at. We're yeah. we're uh, we're a three hour drive and a four hour flight from where where we have all of our gear. Mm-hmm. So the less connections, the less stuff you have to like put onto the camera, and less things that can be. Um, broken or lost every time you go or take the camera the better i think yeah for sure is that all the notes that you had um, we go over everything i had one thing that was kind of advanced um rolling shutters versus global shutters but, yeah um so like a picture camera a dslr when you take a picture or film or video it scans the sensor from top to bottom so when you pan left and right quickly you kind of get that looks like it in the, the the frame is rolling side to side. Cinema cameras, since they don't have to scan top to bottom for pictures, they have a global shutter, which means the processor is um, like reading the sensor all at one time, all in one like one frame versus sliding up and down. So when you're panning quick, it's kind of geeky, but you don't yeah. get that rolling. Yeah, but it's but if, yeah. you, if guys are out there filming sports and things like that, they yeah. need to know those things. You know, and that's I, I mean. It all comes down to what your budget is and what your goal is. You know, if you're just out there and, and if you're going to be very picture heavy and your pictures are more important, obviously you're going to do a DSLR or mirrorless camera. Uh, if you need a really solid second angle for video, you know, if you're shooting a lot of interviews, then mirrorless is going to be a great option. And if you control all the lighting, if you're setting up lights for everything, then a DSLR is great. But if you're doing anything run and gun, anything handheld, um, Anything where you need to be able to kind of move and groove, like I just can't see running anything but a cinema camera. Um, and I've ran both 
a significant amount of time, and I take the cinema camera every single time. That's all I got. That's a nice little short podcast. I like those. Yeah, 43 minutes. Yeah. You got anything else? That's it. Good to go. Um, I got a drone still for sale if anyone wants it. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, which, what drone is it? Spark. The Spark. Uh, if anybody wants a drone, hit Clay up or hit redneck-tech-podcast at gmail.com and uh, I will forward it to Clay and you can deal with him. What uh, what we got coming up? What we need to, do we need anything else? We, we're, we are going to do a class. Still don't know where we're going to do the class. Still haven't figured that out yet. We don't have any free time right now. It's about to get crazy for us, so... It's probably going to be summertime. I was thinking we could do it in like end of this month, but it's not going to happen. Um, we're about to get into editing season. Um, we're going to finish the podcast studio. When we finish the podcast studio, Ryer is going to head up a 101 course on the podcast, correct? Yes. Full 101 tutorials, video podcast. Um, there'll be audio versions of it, of course, but if – there's going to be things as terms of visually you're probably going to want to see. Um, so I would suggest tuning into those when those are going to happen as soon as our studio is done. Um, Does anybody want a red? Yeah. We're, we're, we're selling the red too. Somebody wants a red. Hit me up. Um, we never have used it and we want FX6s. So we're going to sell the red. Uh, we just, it's a pain in the butt. I like it a lot, and it's beautiful, but it's a pain in the butt. But if you're somebody that needs it, let me know. Is that all we got? I like it. All right. Deuces.